What is up, guys, and welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And I'm James. And today, James, you don't even know what we're talking about, do you? I don't. It's a complete I, surprise. I haven't told you. No. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> Gotta love the spontaneity at all. <laughs> How have you been this week? Yeah, we've been... Uh... Played a bit more Marvel United, uh, mm-hmm. and you have introduced me to a crocodile. I did indeed. I got our good friend Ant to bring his crocodile board down. Uh, now, I only first played crocodile a couple of weeks ago, and I've got to admit, I'm addicted to that game. Yep. It is so much fun. So simple as well. So what, what honestly, what was your first opinions of crocodile? Uh, addictive as hell. I mean, it's, it's a very old game. It's air hockey before air hockey was invented. <laughs> yes. If effectively. Yeah, pretty much. And those dastardly pegs in the middle of the board there, James, just defending that hole. Yep. <laughs> you don't get on well with them, do you? No, no one gets on well with those. <laughs> I did okay like, on a fair, on a few games, but I was awful on the others. So it's, it's it's getting that getting used to the whole flicking yep. the puck as well, isn't it? So yeah, really, really good game. I think we'll talk more about that at some point in the future because we're going to be doing a lot more crocodoling. Yes. Over the coming months, I get the feeling. Yes. I know we talked about doing a little mini tournament at the club as well, so looking forward to that. But yeah, other than that, um, I haven't really managed to gain that much this week. I have been working my little gonads off, building scenery for the club, 40k scenery. Um, I'm working on three separate boards simultaneously. I've got an alien-themed board where we're going to have lots of alien plantations. I've got a sort of scrapyard board, I suppose is the best way to do it, with like a mini shanty town. And then also an industrial board. So, yeah, I've been pretty damn busy cutting up foam core, mm. tearing apart electronics to steal <laughs> cables and all sorts from inside. And yes, the uh, 3D printers have been working overtime, have they? They have indeed, yeah. I've got the resin one printing miniatures left, right and centre for me. And then, obviously, my FDM printer printing little greebles ready for the, the sci-fi building. So, yeah, very, very busy doing that. Um, and it's been a while to be honest, since I did terrain and, and scenery. So get, getting back into it's been enjoyable, but looking forward to not having to do it anymore. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, shall we jump into this week's topical discussion, James? There you go. There's a hint. It's a topical Ooh, it's a discussion. Topical, it's a topical. What it is, is the subject? The subject this week is teaching games, something that you've had to start doing very recently. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, we had a little bit of a discussion about it before, and we've managed to come up with basically 10 tips of what you should do if you are teaching a game. The do's and don'ts, basically. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, let's do that. As the people who most regularly host game nights via our game clubs and... Even having friends over to our houses, that's more so me than your good self. It's safe to say that we've both had our teaching cards stamped, especially Mm -hmm. recently. Um, And as such, that's kind of taught us what works and what doesn't when it comes to teaching. The way you, for me, the way you teach a game is crucial because it really does make it so that the players will like that game or not. You know, the the game should always be fun enough for people to enjoy it, but they need to get the information they need in order to play it properly. Yeah. So it's get it's finding that fine balance of keeping things fun while getting the information across. How have you found that side of things? Yeah, it's um it, it's a delicate balance, isn't it? Because obviously no one wants to be taught a game by someone who basically who doesn't have any patience, who's getting frustrated. It's it's just the way it all it goes. It's the first time you play a game, you're having to learn the rules, you're not really gonna understand them properly. 
you are going to make mistakes. And if the person teaching you is then getting frustrated that you're not getting it, mm. it's just going to sour your opinion of the game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And again, it, it, you don't want to bore people to sleep mm. by talking too much, you know. So it, it is literally reading every word from the rule book, word for word. Is it really necessary? Probably not. Some games I would argue that and say, yes, it is. But most games I'd say, no. You don't want to leave them high and dry while playing the game mm. and you just steamroll them because you know the rules and they don't. Mm. So yeah, really, really is important to to find that balance. And we hope that going through our 10 little tips here, that will help you guys out there teaching people a game that you like or even introduce some new blood into the hobby, which is, let's be honest, the most important thing for our hobby to grow. So, would you like to kick off with the first one, or should I? Uh, I'll go first, if you want. No problem. Off you go. One. Tip number one, learn the board game yourself before you teach it. That seems pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's worrying, though, how many people don't do that. That's yeah. that's the key thing. Yeah, as I think the worst mistake you can make is simultaneously trying to teach the game while learning it yourself it's mm. like that's never going to go well yeah it, it's it can get quite grinding especially when you've got the person who's running the game constantly getting the rule book out oh i'll, I'll just check that yeah or oh we did oh no we missed this rule or yep. blah 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 it just makes it very difficult yeah it? i mean it's there will be occasions where your gaming group is all playing a game where none of you have played the game before uh in which case there's usually one of you that's pretty good with rules mm -hmm. uh, and that's different, but don't go out. Like don't set out to say, I will teach you this game mm. if you haven't played it first yourself. Yeah, I th I think I would agree. But to me, there's only one exception to the rule and that is say a Kickstarter that you've, your gaming group has been waiting for, for absolutely ages mm. has literally turned up maybe three hours beforehand. Yep. And you've literally not even had time to open the box yet. That's what I, that's what I was saying. You know, it's like, like there will be those occasions where your entire group is playing for the first time, but you've not gone out. You haven't said to to a group, "Oh yeah, don't worry, I'll teach you that." Mm, yeah, yeah. And then not learnt it yourself. Yeah, at the, like, at the very least, a courtesy read through the rule book yourself before attending a game event or hosting a game event. Mm. It's a must for me. You know, I, I'm I personally our, our good friend Kiri. I re I regularly meet up with just the two of us because we like to learn games together. We don't necessarily play those games, but we will study them mm. so that we know the rules before then going to a game club and teaching the rules, which has worked really really well over the past few months. Especially for someone like me, who does struggle sometimes to essentially sit down and read a rule book by myself the mm. motivation isn't always there but when there's someone else to learn it with it does make it quite fun so if you've got a partner who's willing to do it mm. if you've got a friend you know i'm sure james would do it if i asked him you know we could just literally sit down and read the rules and figure out a game before then going and teaching it Two. okay so the second tip that we have is again it sounds very self-explanatory but i actually think it's an important one on here and that is to assemble the right group of players now it does sound a little bit weird to say that but just hear me out everyone has different likes and dislikes with the types of games they like to play if you can try to keep people together that will enjoy the type of board game you want to teach 
there are ginormous differences between players that stick solely to the ticket to ride and pandemic to those who prefer to stay in the realms of, say, Gloomhaven and Scythe. So, you know, are we talking about playing a heavyweight game? Does that mean we need to steer away from certain players? And so on and so forth. Again, sounds very, very silly to have to say it, but I've seen it all too many times where we've been hosting a game event or a weekly game club and a group of gamers have sat down to to learn a game you know breaking number one straight away but learning a game while they're there and there's someone in there who's never played anything more than pandemic and it's and you know you're talking sort of medium to heavyweight game that they were learning and it just did not go down well you could clearly see they weren't having fun and in certain circumstances i've never seen some of those gamers again mm. so vitally important tip number two has to be the right group of players what yeah do you think? i think that also links into point one as well it's like especially if you you might have learnt the rules yourself, but the game might be still fairly new to you. You also need a receptive group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who you know, especially if it's if it's your first time teaching that game. So you might have played it, but if it's your first time teaching it, you need the right group as well. Especially if you're new to teaching games overall. Yeah, I would agree. Until you get your confidence and you know, sort of what you're doing yeah effectively that that also plays into that so i think one and two go, go hand in hand yeah yeah i think to be honest i think all 10 of these will will mm. actually mesh nicely together but yeah number two right group of players three tip three turn off all distractions this is a vital one for me yeah. absolutely vital yeah. put that phone on do not disturb nothing expect when you're teaching a game uh, one of the worst things that can happen is you break the flow Yes, it might still be table etiquette, shall we say, to still to do it regardless. But I think it's more important when you're teaching a game or you're being taught a game because it's mm. it'll break your concentration. You'll miss bits, and you probably just end up annoying people. Basically, yeah, I, I would agree, and especially if you're the person teaching the game as well. That you yeah. know, I've seen that as well. It's like there's nothing worse than you know everyone else at the table having the decency to literally sit there listening to you and then you're sitting there scrolling through your phone or you're talking but at the same time you're scrolling through facebook or yeah. whatever it be that gets rather annoying you know take out the public environment say you're hosting a game not at your house yeah you don't want the tv on no you know i i use my tv when we're gaming but it's spotify it's got a nice thematic music mm. playlist playing in the background it's not something that people are going to, oh, I've got to see what's on TV. Mm. You know, one of the worst circumstances for this is, for example, we've arranged a game night tonight, James. There's mm. five people coming over, but there's a big football game on. And John wants to watch the football. Mm. And he turns and says, can you put the football on the television? No. no get out of my house. <laughs> You're here to game that, you know, if you wanted to watch football, you shouldn't have accepted my invite. You know, don't turn the tv on do yeah. not have anything visual that people can sit there and get distracted by mm. and this is especially i mean it's annoying when you're playing the game it's even more annoying when you're trying to teach the game you've gone through all of the rules and then john or little jimmy turns around and says oh um ha, ha, what, what was this Roy? i didn't hear that mm. and it's like, yeah, well, i did say it tough luck you know, tough love in the, in this instance, James. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And it's like definitely on the whole, like if you're hosting a game night, don't just don't put the TV on because people will get distracted by it. Tabletop gaming is a, is a, 
is a uh, removal from the norm. You don't need the normal things that no. you rely on, like the television and stuff like that. If you want to put a bit of the- thematic music on, go well, for it. Just music in general is fine. But yeah, yeah no visual stuff that people can get distracted by is absolute no no yeah yeah exactly and yeah if you see people getting their phone out i would uh, i would just urge you to carry a hammer yeah uh, you know they'll soon learn never to bring their phone again yes <laughs> okay so let's moving on to number four four again this one seems like it should shouldn't have to be said but sometimes it does have to be said and that is introducing the game theme now, I could say to you, James, let's play Pandemic. Mm-hmm. The theme is pretty obvious. Yep. Whereas I could say, oh, the game is called Azul. Do, do you know what the theme is of that? If you didn't know the game, of course you don't. Introduce that game theme. Set the scene yep. before you sit down at the table. Or in fact, this could be when you're deciding what to play. Mm. You know, before you've even decided that you're going to sit down and play that. I actually came up with a little paragraph about this, which... I really do sort of th- think it, it sets the scene perfectly, which is, you remember remember when you were a small child at the local library and someone was reading the books to a group? They did all of those really silly voices. Yeah. That's you now. Yeah. You know, you've you've chosen the game. You've introduced what the theme is. Now you're teaching the game. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of role-play immersion yep. to get people in the mood to actually think, Oh, you know, we're playing Chocolate Factory. I want, I'm want. i taking on the role of a chocolatier. Let's find a way of actually immersing myself into that so that I feel like I am Willy Wonka incarnated. Yeah. You know. No, I, I, I took this, especially to the game that I've been teaching recently is Nemesis. Mm-hmm. And I said, even said in our episode, that game feels like when you're playing it, it's got an element of role play to it. It's like, and I was exactly the same. So it's like, how to make this amazing game better? Yeah, you set the scene. Yeah, exactly. Get the players into it, get them psyched up for the game, and then go. Yeah. And if you've arranged a game in advance and you know what game is going to be played, you can then spend time thinking, what can I do to actually get these players immersed into this game, into this theme, so that they enjoy this game? It's it's not a super important thing. I don't think it's uh, it's going to be something that will make people dislike the game, but it's something that will keep them engaged in you trying to teach them what the game is about and how to play it. Yep. Just keep their interest up. Five. So uh, tip five here is hand out game guides. Now, a lot of the board games that I've been introduced to, you don't even have to make these. They actually come with mo- the majority of uh, board games these days. The little... I know some people call them game guides. I call them cheat sheets. It's a quick overview of the game mm-hmm. in one form or another. And yes, make sure every player has one of those because mm-hmm. it's, it's quite an easy way to turn around and say, right, here's your your little walkthrough. Effectively, we'll go through the more complex side of the rules, but this basically outlines the general thing. Again, Nemesis does this really well because it's on your pass card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, And it, in bullet points lays out what a turn should look like and that card is really useful for such a complicated yeah. game it's like all right do this do this do this do this you still need to explain what each step is but it helps you walk through what a turn should look like yeah uh, exactly and like you said most games now come with these you know especially the the more complex yeah, games the heavyweight games like i've like not said, seen a heavyweight game that doesn't have a cheat sheet in one form or another exactly and like you said cheat sheet 
walkthrough guide, turn guide. Mm. You know, they, they've got many, many names, but essentially it's a small bullet pointed list of do this, do this, do this. Some of them even put it in certain orders, like route, for example. There's three stages to it, so yep. you've got three separate parts to that card uh, and tells you what you can and can't do within those turns. Really, really handy things to have. If the game doesn't have it, yeah, it doesn't hurt to spend a little bit of time on your computer just typing up your own version of it yeah, and then handing them out to every player. I mean, what? Most games are a maximum of six players. Mm. You just type up one and you print off six. Mm. If you really want to handwrite it, good on you. I wouldn't do that. I have a computer. I have a printer. That's how I'm going to do it. Yeah. But it comes in handy so much, especially after you've taught a game, because you may well have taught a game and you may well have taught a game very well. Some people may not have picked up on certain rules as well as they possibly could. Mm -hmm. However, they may not want to speak up in front of a big group of people thus making themselves look maybe, you know, thinking they make themselves look stupid. That's not the case. Yep. But unfortunately, that is how the human brain works. If they've got a little card there, that may well be enough to jog their memory enough so that they then know what to do. Six. Okay, number six. This, again, is vitally important, especially in the bigger games, and that is to clearly explain the objectives of the game. It's not just about the theme of the game. It's not about the overall objective or the objective that maybe you usually go for. It's about explaining all of the objectives. We'll use Scythe as an example here. There's multiple ways to win that game. I normally win it in one certain way because it plays to my playstyle. If I teach that game, literally everyone is going to be going for that same goal because I've not told them how else to win the game. Yep. Vitally important that they know exactly how they can win the game. But at the same time, when I say that it's important to explain that, you don't have to go into super details about all of the different avenues they can do to achieve individual goals. Yeah, They just need to know the goals themselves uh, at this point. The best way someone explained that to me is you need to let them know what the destination is. You don't need to tell them how to get there. You just need to Mm -hmm. let them know where where they're going. Exactly, yeah. I mean, if there's any vital information that they need to know in order to get to said destination yeah then yeah you can tell them that but what you need to avoid especially with this particular tip is sitting down for an hour explaining rules before you even start the game yeah you want a quick guide to get them going no more than 10 minutes because after 10 minutes the human brain switches off yep and rules will start to be missed simplify the rules Yep. To get the game going. This is what a turn looks like. This is the overall objective of the game. Other things we will get we will explain as we come across them. But either let's get let's get dice rolling. I'd just like to say as well, I actually struggle with that point when explaining Nemesis. Because like it's another one of those games where there are it's entirely dependent on your objective card that you're it's a really hard one to actually fulfill that point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because it's like okay. I can't actually explain your end objective because in order to do that, I have to see what it is. And if yeah. I'm playing, yeah. I can't see your objective. Exactly. Yeah. The The overall thing is don't die. But things can be... Yes. You, you can, sort of, with as, you as can try and out. give a quick overview. Like the, the Basically, I, the way I learned to do it was read all the cards and just... Well, it could be this, 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 this. Just don't tell me which one it is. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Obviously, the only exception to that particular idea is um, maybe scenario and legacy games, which, you know, yeah. require things to be revealed as the game goes ahead. Yeah. But at the same time, in those type of games, you're all learning the game together. So, yes, let's segue on to number seven. Tip seven. Seven. Playthrough example turns. Mm-hmm. So some games do actually have this. For example, Root has has something similar. If they don't have it, it doesn't hurt to create your own example turn. Yep. We'll use Nemesis as an example, James. If you mm. had a good evening to play Nemesis, would it be worth, if you had nothing but new players, is it worth maybe doing one or two turns yep. to just show what happens, yep. you know, how the noise dice works, how movement works, how, you know, uh, searching rooms works, that kind of stuff. Yep. So yeah, pretty pretty simple one there. I don't think there's much else we can really say to that. Yeah. If it doesn't already say it in the how to play guide, create your own little playthrough example turns, play for a couple of turns, mm. and then once everyone's happy that they've got the basic knowledge, reset the game yep. and go for number eight. Eight. And number eight, because it segues lovely on, is playing a learning game. If it's everyone's first time playing a game, it doesn't hurt to play a learning game. Playing a couple of example turns is great. Playing a learning game is the next step up. Example turns is everyone can see what everyone is doing. You're teaching them how to play the game. Playing a learning game is a informal way of playing a game, especially if it's a competitive game. Yeah. Sometimes you just want to play through one game where it's open for anyone to go, oh, I really want to try and do this. Is that possible? Whereas normally they might not want to reveal their hand to you or it would really hinder their overall objective if, if that's what they were trying to do. Mm. Nemesis being another very good example there. If you're playing a learning game, it doesn't hurt to sort of go, well, I don't want to show everyone else, but you know, you're running the game. Is it okay if yeah. I do this? How blah, would blah, I do? Blah. How would I do this? How would I do that? Yeah, that, that's a learning game is really the only way to do a game like now because there's so many bits of it that are hidden, and mm. that will actually if you're playing a competitive game, will, allowing any of the other players to see see these things will will just ruin your game. Yeah, I mean that moves me on actually quite nicely to another point where. It took me a very long time to figure this, which was while doing a learning game, it, it's not horrible for, for you to go to someone who is taking their turn going, would you like some help? Mm. You know, any advice that I can give you? The key thing to remember, though, is do not take their turn for, for them. them. Don't backseat game. Never, ever backseat game is one of the most dangerous things you can do, especially with a new hobbyist, because mm. it does immediately put them in the mindset of, I'm clearly not good enough for this. Mm. Make sure you're there as a friendly face. I can offer you help. You know, here's my suggestion. However, what would, what, what are you thinking? Yeah. You know, I, I what think would you like to do? I, th- th- you've just hit the nail on the head there. If you're going to offer help, that's the first thing you should say. Not even at the point where you come up to them and go, I can help you. Is What are you thinking? Mm. And co-op games are a great way, especially to to introduce new gamers as well. This is the beauty mm. of a co-op game, is it does enable everyone to go, well, I'm thinking about doing this. And then you've got multiple people's inputs. Mm. But again, especially with co-op games, you need to make it perfectly clear is it is that person's turn. Yes. Granted, it may not be the best thing for the team. You may see that. 
but it's their turn. Yes. Do not ever play a player's turn for them, nope. especially when they're new to a game and they're learning a game. The best way to learn a game is to fail. Yes. Play, playing a learning game, really, really great. Couldn't recommend that enough. No. Number nine, definitely, especially if it is a long game, take a break. Oh, yes. Yes, this is something I think a lot of people need to do and learn how to do, to be fair. Yes, it's. Um, this is one thing I, I know you played Nemesis before I did. When we were introducing it to players, it's like, it's a long game. It's like, play a couple of turns, stop, take a breath, process, allow your brain time to process what's happened and what you're going to do. Get a drink, use, have a comfort break, have a cigarette, whatever you need to do in your break, but allow time to switch off because especially these heavyweight games, there is so much going on. If you don't take a break, you get burnt out. Mm-hmm. And again, you stop enjoying the game. Yeah. Because yeah. you feel like your head's going to explode. It's like, yes, take a couple of minutes or collectively just step back from the table, take a breather, come back. Yeah. And a perfect example to this is to actually go back to your childhood and think about school. You know, when we're all at school, we're spending a whole day of learning. That's taxing on the mind. There's only so much the mind can really absorb in one sitting. So what do schools do? You get regular breaks. Yep. You have tea break in the morning, lunch break, tea break in the afternoon, whatever it be. But at the same time, you have breaks between lessons as well in a lot of schools. There's nothing wrong with doing that here. If you've just taught, especially a high complexity game, you've just taught the rules, it doesn't hurt to have a very quick 5, 10 minute, 15 minute, maybe smoke break, drink break, get everyone's drinks ready for the for the actual main event to kick in. Yeah. If it's a long game, maybe after an hour, okay, let's let's stop, let's have yeah. another little break. I I actually find that those aid in my enjoyment of the game overall as well because those breaks like you said people they stop to get a drink they have a smoke if 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 they feel like it but that's when the players are stepping back from that competitive mindset and there's usually a bit of banter about the turns mm-hmm. that have happened yeah uh, oh that turn whatever that whatever you did on turn three bloody hell i didn't see that coming you know you get the yeah. band and it's not of like right back to it Exactly. You've hit, you've hit the nail on the head there. It gives you time to reflect on the fun that you've had already. Mm. And therefore, absence makes the f- heart grow fonder. Oh my God, I really want to get back to the game now. Mm. And that is the kind of environment you want to create for your players. And it's as simple as taking a short break as and when it's required by either the players or even yourself. Mm. It's not easy teaching games, especially if you have people that haven't stuck to some of the rules, like maybe the distraction one where they're constantly on their phone, where it's mm. stressful. Yeah. You know, you're going to need a break because yeah. otherwise you're going to get agitated, which means you're going to, you're going to pass that on to the other players, even unknowingly. Yep. So taking a break, vitally important. Um, yeah. Number 10 is probably the most one, important one on this entire list, James. Yep. Would you agree? Indeed. 10. Number 10, guys, is play the game. Sounds silly. However, I can sum this up by just saying you need you, you as the teacher, need to enjoy the game that you are playing. Yeah. Granted, if you are teaching, it is slightly different because you're always there to answer questions. However, it's not there to take the enjoyment away from I, you. I would definitely go on to say it's like I've tried this, 
both ways. I've tried teaching a game when I'm not playing it, as in, say it's a six-player game, I've got six players, and I'm off to the side teaching everyone. Mm-hmm. I would not recommend that at all. Teach as one of the players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you have to enjoy playing the game, yeah. and it's not fun. I mean, it, it has a, an element of enjoyment that you are bringing joy to other people. Yeah. However, it's not fu- it's not as fun as sitting down and actually playing the game that you really enjoy. I just think as well, to add on to that, you, you will actually aid other people learning the game if you, as an experienced player, are playing the game. Most of the time, I, I don't always do this, but most of the time when I've been taught a game and the person teaching the game is also playing, they usually offer to go first because it's another way. It goes back into what you were saying about an example turn. The person who actually plays the game or knows the rules goes first right you get to see what a turn looks like yeah especially if you've got and if you've got multiple people that mm. have played the game uh, before you if you sit in a certain way that means you're going to have multiple turns of people that know what they're doing mm. that are probably going to play the turn very differently to give the example to the people that maybe haven't played that game yeah so yeah that again all goes back and circles around all of these tips yes they're all integral to each other example turns learning games no distractions yeah you know i mean another tip i suppose it's it's not going to be a number 11 or anything because we only did a 10 but an honorable mention is don't talk too fast don't talk down to people I, you know i t- would actually like to do this and i know again this is i i would like to add an 11 okay go on. i would like to add an 11 and i have seen far too many people do this I, as far as i'm concerned if you do this you shouldn't be teaching board games and that is do not curb stomp new people yes explain especially when people are playing new to board games especially the heavyweight ones they're going to make silly mistakes we're all slightly competitive we are used to jumping on mistakes don't do it to a new player Mm -hmm. even if it means that you have to do your turn in a slightly different way and, and make sure you teach the person sort of let them make the mistake but afterwards, explain to them exactly why that was a bad move. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can agree more but, on that. And it all yeah. comes down to, again, that sort of does loop back around to number 10, and that is enjoying the game. It's not just about you enjoying the game. Yeah, It's about everyone enjoying yeah. the game. If you curb stomp someone, you may well enjoy doing that. They are not going to enjoy yeah. that. I, I saw that mostly in my tabletop games, and it's just like uh, you wonder why you have trouble introducing new players to this to this game because the veterans don't know how to step back from that com- uh, competitive mindset and go okay my opponent's just made a silly mistake it might it's probably their first game or it is their first game don't table wipe them mm. straight away because yeah they're just going to go well that wasn't fun yeah exactly and the likelihood that they won't want to play that game again if it's a a board game but like you said i i agree uh, wargaming is is one of the worst for that for for new players and it's so hard to get people into our hobby at the best of times without then having to compete with over competitive people that just don't know how to dial it back sometimes yeah you know you don't have to play like you're in a tournament for every single game i mean it it can be difficult like you said because you don't want to backseat game or you don't want to take their turn for them but especially with new players if you can see them walking into a terrible mistake on their first go 
you can sort of turn around to them and go, if you do that, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bit of, bit of friendly friendly advice, friendly chat yeah. throughout the game doesn't hurt yeah. anyone. And that goes back into what you were saying about learning games and example turns. It's sort of like, but yeah, don't annihilate a new player off the bat because it's just, it's not fun. No. Um, so yeah, I think we've we've made some very good points that will help you guys learn some games. I have written out a little summary here, which I'm going to read. Uh, to summarise everything that we've said here today, and there's uh, there's a reason why teachers ask for silence when they are teaching a class. If a new player or if new players talk over you when you're teaching how the board game works, then they aren't listening and they're distracting other people. So that circles back around to our distraction one earlier. You either end up repeating yourself, so explaining takes longer, or you think, stuff them. I'm not going to bother. They don't want to listen. But this obviously can lead to problems during the game and when they start asking you questions, which they probably should have known if they were actually listening to start with, you know, it's far too easy to just well, you should have listened, you know, and, and putting up the defensive wall. You, you ideally don't want to do that as much as I do understand how annoying it can be. So when you start teaching a board game, explain why it is important to new players that they listen. They get to the fun part faster if they just listen with the nicest friends and the best will in the world they may not be the perfect group of attentive new players if they cannot sit and just listen to your explanation of how to play a game just don't be aggressive when you're trying to to talk to people don't talk down to people as i said it, it's just about keeping everyone on the same level so that's my my advice for teaching games have you got anything extra that you would add james uh no i think you've covered it all nicely there is be patient with with your players yeah because depending on the group there will be like you said there will be banter there will be jokes and that and that and that's good that's part of the enjoyment of the the evening but yeah you need a group that's going to actually listen to you when you try to explain the rules and the flip side of that is obviously that you need to be patient with your group they're not going to understand everything the first pass there will be rule clarifications uh, and other questions that will put questions to rule. You will explain a rule and there will inevitably be follow-up questions and you just got to be patient with your player group, basically. So guys, have we missed any information from where you've been teaching people games? Is there any tips that you would give that maybe we have missed? We're always willing to learn new things and update our list in order to help more and more people. Just let us know on any of our social media platforms. Links to those are in the podcast description. Short of that, go. it's time to hand over to another experienced gamer, James, who just happens to be sitting in the shed with a nice long list of new things that I can spend money on. Nice. Did we give them a here? No, no, it's pretty cold out there. It's very cold. Shame. Yeah. Oh, well. (laughs) Time to hand over to Icicle Paul. Icicle, huh? Well, it just shows how much James knows about me, doesn't it? I mean, I haven't worn any trousers for three years. You know full well what I meant. I wear shorts. Well, and of course I've got a substantial amount of built-in insulation to boot. Yeah, so that's why I've given you the electric blanket for the bed. See, I'm pretty good like that, aren't I? On second thoughts, how are you getting on with those electric pants I bought you? Cozy? Well, I'm glad to hear your twig and giggle berries are toasty and warm. Just don't go too near any water sources with them on, will you? 
Well, water, electricity... Well, I haven't got the time nor the crayons to explain it to you, so just do what I tell you. Right, i got to get this news read out. You okay there? Players of Magic the Gathering's online client, Arena, will soon have access to a third play mode designed for rebalancing cards without changing their paper versions. But it seems that a vocal contingent of players are frustrated by the collateral damage Alchemy will wreak on the popular historic format. Publishers Wizards of the Coast announced the Alchemy format on December the 2nd in a series of blog posts on the official site. When it launches on December the 9th, Alchemy will introduce the Alchemy Innistrad set, which contains 63 new cards with arena-only mechanics that won't be printed elsewhere. Additionally, 11 existing cards will have their text altered in the first rebalancing pass under the new model. Arena's director, Jay Parker, explained that the format's addition attempts to address the lightning-quick rate at which the digital trading card game's competitive environment shifts and evolves. The Arena team will use Alchemy to add cards between major paper set releases, implement digital-only mechanics, and tackle metagame warping imbalances while leaving Tabletop Magic the Gathering untouched. A post from Parker commented, Alchemy is simply an additional way to play, offering another option for players who want a new metagame and new strategies to conquer, who want a faster rate of evolution and change in that metagame, and who want a format that can work like a digital game. Players who collect either the rebalanced version of a card, denoted by a stylized A in the name box, or its original will also receive its equivalent. The team wants the existing standard to remain untouched for fans who want to simply play Paper Magic the Gathering online. But as many fans have expressed in subreddits and on social media, the same can't be said for Historic. The popular Magic Arena format, which does not rotate and allows all available cards, will use the rebalanced alchemy versions of existing cards instead of the originals. Players are viewing this as a transgression of Historic's status as an eternal format, such as Commander, Vintage or Legacy in Paper Magic the Gathering. Historic players are drawn into the wide range of strategies and deck building possibilities, and while dominant strategies have led to bans in the past, the format has remained largely untouched by the ever-shifting mentality of standard and now the new alchemy format. Additionally, these players are frustrated by yet another drain on the expensive and hard-to-obtain wildcards that Arena uses in lieu of dusting systems seen in similar digital titles such as Hearthstone. The cards queued for rebalancing all come from sets in the current standard rotation, including Zendikar Rising, Strixhaven, Cladheim, and Adventures in the Forgotten Realm. The notably dominant Ulrun's epiphanies, meme-infied birds, and extra turns have become more costly to pull off, while two of the class enchantments from Adventures in the Forgotten Realm have had their third ability reduced to spread the overall value to those later tiers. Alchemy and its Innistrad card set will launch on December 9th, alongside the long-awaited update to the client's Playblade. Future Alchemy sets will reportedly drop a couple of weeks after the core collection, meaning Kamigawa, Neon Dynasty's equivalent, should arrive sometime in March 2022. The Asmodee Group, 
as it does, continues its systematic acquirement of publishers with a new strategic investment in the game publisher Exploding Kittens. Exploding Kittens, with a game of the same name, debuted in 2015, raising more than $8 million on Kickstarter and has continued to sell more than 18 million games from its catalogue of 20 titles. Exploding Kittens' long-standing relationship with Asmodee dates back to 2016, when Asmodee first partnered with the company to distribute the game in Europe. Since then, the two companies have continued to strengthen their partnership with additional distribution and licensing relationships around the world. With this new strategic partnership, the two companies aim to leverage the Exploding Kittens team's creative talents and extensive US footprint with Asmodee's vast array of 21 game studios and its global distribution network with a direct presence in more than 20 countries. Stefan Carville, CEO of Asmodee, said, Exploding Kittens has been a long-time partner of ours, combining amazing creativity and innovation capabilities and the ability to reach a wide audience. We are thrilled to join the co-founders and the Cherin Group as shareholders of the business, which will enable us to strengthen our go-to market strategy in the US and more closely collaborate on game design. Elan Lee, co-founder and CEO of Exploding Kittens, added, Since the beginning, Exploding Kittens has aimed to inspire people to put down their screens and connect, laugh and play in the physical world. Asmodee shares this vision and this new alliance will allow us to leverage the global market expertise and help to expand their hit game's presence in the US. The original version of classic family board game Carcassonne and the Big Box Edition have both been given a fresh new look. Released last month, the new version of Carcassonne Big Box, which has appeared in online stores in both France and Greece, will contain the same contents as Carcassonne Big Box 6, which was released in 2017, albeit with new, fresh artwork. The new artwork features an image of the game's tiles laid together to form a complete board, featuring the cities, roads and rivers that are now iconic parts of the beginner's board game. The new artwork for the base game version of Carcassonne contains a vista of a French medieval landscape, with roads, cities and various different people included. Images of the artwork have appeared on various German language stores, with a game entitled Carcassonne 3rd Edition on one particular online store being priced up at €29.99. According to a description of the game, the new 3rd edition of Carcassonne will feature the river and the Abbot expansions, with all other aspects besides the artwork being the same as the previous versions of the base game. Originally released in 2000, Carcassonne is a tile laying game that sees players competing against each other to score the most points possible by collectively building the image of a French medieval countryside. Carcassonne was created by Klaus-Jürgen Rend, who is also responsible for designing multiple expansions for the games, such as the Inns and Cathedrals and Traders and Builders expansions. The German-language version of Carcassonne is published by Hansum Glick, with the English-language version of the game being released by Z-Man Games, the studio behind co-op board game Pandemic. There is currently no release date available for the English-language versions of the new Carcassonne 3rd Edition or Carcassonne Big Box Edition. And adding a little more to the Carcassonne chatter, 
Did you know it's thought to have brought us the term maple? From the collection of your characters you use for the worker placement aspect of the game, they were thought to be my people, which pretty much like everything nowadays, got abbreviated to maple. And we're heading on over to crowdfunding now, and first up, on Kickstarter is Octopus's Garden, designed by Roberta Taylor, art by Kerry Aitken and published by Maple Games. It's for 2-4 to four players, it's going to take you 30-45 to 45 minutes to play, it's for 10 years and over and it ends on Tuesday December the 21st. In Octopus's Garden, players take on the role of Octopus, competing to create the most beautiful gardens in this tile laying game for 2-4 to four players. Players choose which plant and animal tiles to purchase from a central market and then decide how best to arrange them in their garden. Careful planning is required to attract seahorses and clownfish, to protect pearl-producing oysters from the sea stars, and to avoid startling delicate featherworms. Once you are familiar with the game and wish to add some variety to it, you may include one or more of the extra modules provided in the games. And the pledge levels is £23 or $30 for the game itself, which comes together with the Kickstarter exclusive wooden pearl tokens. And next up also on Kickstarter is Borderlands, Mr. Talk's Arena of Badassery, designed by John Kowaleski and published by Monster Fight Club. It's for 1-5 to five players, takes 45-90 to 90 minutes to complete. It's for 14 years and over, and ends on Thursday, December the 23rd. Welcome to Borderlands, Mr. Talk's Arena of Bad Assery, an officially licensed cooperative board game for 1-4 to four players, in which you and your friends must defeat the hordes of bandits, skags, and other challenges Mr. Talk throws at you to prove you are the ultimate badasses. You and a team of Vault Hunters enter Mr. Talk's Arena of Badassery to face off against his collection of skags, bandits and assorted psychos. You can play a one-off battle filled with explosions, slaughter explosions, source explosions and loot explosions. Or play a series of deadly fights in a campaign mode that will see your Vault Hunter level up between games. Visit vending machines to buy better gear, advance your character using unique skill trees, epic new guns, and enter the next game even more badass than before. Just make sure you're tough enough to take on the final boss, as Ultimate Murder Machine is hellbent on sending you back to the Borderlands as moist and meaty skag snacks. You can pledge for the core set without any stretch goals for £65 or $85. Alternatively, £103 or $135 will get you the game, all unlock stretch goals and the Skags at the Gates expansion, although various add-ons can be added during the Pledge Manager once the project has ended. And lastly on Kickstarter this week is Freedom Rings, designed by Benjamin Wright and published by Probable Entertainment. It's for 2-4 players, it's going to take you 90-120 to 120 minutes to complete. It's for 10 years and over and it ends on Friday, December the 31st. Freedom Rings is a game based on the idea that an economy is a community that can be free and fair to all. The riches don't always win, and victory is what you choose it to be. The game board is inspired by a thriving city, with the greatest land values at its heart. Medium land values in the suburbs, and the lowest land values in the rural areas. Freedom Rings blends economics, ease of play, and a short time to finish. 
Each player receives seven gold cards and chooses a single gold card to secretly play. The game is played with three playing pieces, one for each of the three property rings. Before each turn, the player must choose which ring to play. Every turn except for the first turn and power plays requires a die roll. When the game begins, all players have no money, no property and no debt. Acquiring property is the way for a player to achieve their goal. The community is the bank, so players will volunteer to watch the flows of cash and debt as needed. Turn by turn, players accumulate properties. Tactics to win can include the following. Acquiring properties after a die roll. Purchasing other property. Consolidating properties. Trading acquired property for vacant property trading with other players. Other tactics become available as the game's economy grow and include earning the ability to change production point values, interest rates and even your chosen goal. Only the wiliest will make the most out of what is freely given in this game. A player wins by achieving a goal chosen from the several goal cards available. Victory can be had with much wealth or little wealth depending upon the chosen card. Final scoring is calculated with the value of each property square less the player's debt. And the pledge level comes in at £38 or $50 for the Freedom Rings Signature Edition. Other pledge levels are available giving you extras like coasters and t-shirts, but I'll let you discover those for yourself. And we're heading on over to events. Another game day to add before Christmas is Alan over at Dungeon Crawley as he's managed to shoehorn in a date before Christmas on Sunday 19th of December. Location is 1st Langley Green Scout Hut, Lark Rise, Crawley, RH11 7QQ. It's £5 per person for the day, inclusive of beverages. And the weeklies are still ongoing with Wednesday evenings gaming at the comic shop in Crawley from 4pm. Thursdays has Lewis Board Game Club and Trinity Gaming Cafe in Lewis running from 7.30 until 11.30. Also on Thursdays is Worthing Board Gamers down at the Ardington Hotel from 7pm. And Mondays as always is Crawley Gaming Club over at Tilgate Community Centre from 7pm through to 11pm. Brian, what are you up to? <coughs> Hang on, you be careful with that drink. I bloody told you, electricery and water do not mix. Mind you, you've got a Mohican just like Jason now. <laughs> oh well, say goodbye to everyone and you better go and lay down for a bit. Just not under the smoke detector for a while. <laughs> and it's a goodbye from me. Keep safe meeples, keep those dice rolling, the cards shuffling and we'll be right here for you next week. Thank you very much for that, Paul. And thank you guys once again for joining us for another episode of the Amiable Minded Podcast. This time all about learning how to teach people games. Mm. It's, a, it's an interesting one. It took so long for me to actually t learn how to teach games properly. You know, you sort of think to yourself, oh, it's easy. I just read the rule book and, and we go from there. But it really isn't as easy as it sounds, is it? It's one of those things, isn't it? Where the rule book is designed to teach the game, but it doesn't prepare you, like I said, for those follow-up questions. Mm. It's like, well, this is the rule. Yeah, but what happens if I do this? Uh, it's not in the rule book. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you will get that. Yeah. You will get that. And there will always be questions that you may not be able to answer. Yeah. 
you know, it doesn't hurt in those situations to sort of go, do you know what? I genuinely don't know. Board Game Geek is a very good uh, place to go if you do have questions like that. Any of the forums on there, they're really yeah. good for that kind of information because generally other people will have had these exact same questions. Yeah. So right. someone somewhere will have posted that question online and then undoubtedly the wealth of board game talent and even some of the creators come on and help. Yeah. And it's um, teaching games is good for your... Uh, development if you like as well as a gamer because once you learn to teach rules you can then start hosting games mm-hmm. you might even feel confident to start making up your own house rules and seeing how they go down uh, and teaching people those as well mm-hmm. so it's all part part and parcel and helps with your development as a gamer yeah definitely and, and i mean you brought up house rules there that is actually a topical conversation i would like to have at mm. some point because that is a pretty heated topic yeah. among some people i know my personal feelings on it but i will save that for when we actually have that discussion so that may well be our next topical discussion probably be sometime in the new year at this point james because we are really steaming towards that festive season now are you, are you any more prepared for it than when we last spoke about it no no me neither i bought maybe a few people's presents but i am very far behind and my money just seems to continually be spent on games rather than presents for people but they get enjoyment out of those games anyway because i force them to play it as i chain them to the side of my desk yep so yeah <laughs> anyway guys i think that's going to be all from us this jet this week james anything yeah. else you want to add no i think we're pretty much done awesome stuff go out there and teach some more games guys let us know what you think of our tips and stuff on all the social media But until next week, I have been Jason. And I've been James. And you've been listening to the Meeple Minded Podcast. Join us next week for more tabletop gaming goodness. Ta-ta. Goodbye.